listening, and welcome to Monsters Among Us. I am your guide, Derek Hayes. Welcome to the show, and welcome to this disaster of a studio. Over the past couple days, I've been furiously working to get this new Mac Mini up and running. Well, at least, new to me. Now, a lot of people have sent me messages saying, well, why don't you just buy some brand new equipment? Why are you messing around with all this old stuff? Well, the answer's pretty easy, actually. I simply don't have the budget to work with new equipment, so I'm forced to buy used equipment and somehow make it work. So thank you all so much for the patience, but I think we're finally up and running. Now I have an excellent show lined up for you guys. It's not a grab bag per se, but uh, it is loosely a grab bag. See, the situation here is that I'm leaving for Crypticon tomorrow, and I actually have a handful of episodes I need to do before I leave. So this is going to be interesting. Speaking of Crypticon. September 7th and 8th, Lexington, Kentucky. I highly recommend you guys be there. Not only will I be hosting the town hall meeting, I believe that's at 5 o'clock on Saturday, but I'll also have a booth where you can pick up some cryptic crates, you can pick up some Monsters Among Us gear, and you can meet me. And believe it or not, even Addie Lloyd and Tony Bell will be in attendance. So if you'd like to meet at least most of the Monsters Among Us crew, that's a great chance to do so. Now in addition to all the stuff I just told you about, there are tons of reality TV stars, cryptid researchers, and of course, tons of vendors. So I highly recommend you make your way down. And if you're a Cryptid Crate subscriber and you're expected to get the September box which ships out today, uh, there's a free ticket in there for you. So if you don't get your box in time, simply reach out to me and I'll try to hook you up. The timeline with the tickets and everything was just a little bit hairy. Alright, what do you guys say we get on with the program? So to kick things off this evening, our first call of the night comes to us from Adam and it involves a hotel ghost in a very famous location. Hey guys, um, my name is Adam. It's a story that I've never really told too many people, but I've always had an affinity for the paranormal, but never really had uh, too many experiences myself. However, when I was, I think around 20 years old, that would be around 1997, 1996, I played college football for a pretty big team in uh, major college football, and we did a lot of traveling during the season, but we were in New Orleans playing a pretty big game, and we stayed at the uh, hotel that was actually connected to the Superdome, and, uh, you know, we always were on the road week in, week out, so it wasn't anything different, but um, it was unusual. When I got my room, it was only, it was way out of the way. It really kind of threw me off. (laughs) And I had, a, honestly, a, for the first time in my life, I had a really weird feeling just walking to my room that night. And I had a roommate, so and the guys would constantly be all over the hotel um, after we did our meetings and had a little free time. So that particular night, I was exceptionally tired. I do remember that because I, I went back to the room early, and we were on the top floor. And I can't exactly remember the hotel, but we were on the top floor, and at the 
very furthest end away from everybody. So it was a long walk to get down to the lobby. Uh, and I just I had a really weird feeling walking to the room. Um, I get to the room. My roommate wasn't there. It was around 7 o'clock um, right after dinner. And I just laid on top of the sheets on the bed and was just watching some TV. And I, I dozed off. And I remember on more than one occasion, I believe it was two times, not more than that, maybe three, um, where I felt like some a hand was in my face or a you know somebody was actually very close to me and it was a double king size bedroom or queen whatever double room and uh i, I would like open my eyes and it would pull me out of sleep and i didn't even think i didn't think anything of it i just thought oh yeah that's kind of weird and later that night uh probably another hour or two later my roommate comes in and we always have the same roommates and he he comes in he's loud he wakes me up i turn off all the lights at that point he's watching tv and i doze back off the next time i woke up I, it was the same exact um feeling and i woke up in the middle of the night uh, probably around two and out of the what i could hear uh, from that point is my roommate saying you know hey hey and I thought maybe he had woken me up. I had the same feeling, but he he was trying to get my attention. And he's like, "What what are you doing?" And I just I remember saying, "What are you What are you talking about?" And he's like, uh, "Man, there's somebody standing. Because I thought you were standing over your bed." And I, I look up and I see you laying there. And he saw like a, a shadow shadowy type person but it was really odd and he turns on all the lights and he's like i he was shocked number one but he he said uh saw somebody standing up they were like leaning over looking at you it looked like they had their arms crossed and when i pulled myself up out of bed to say like what are you doing he said it was he could only really see a torso and he said at that point he just covered himself back up and started saying, you know, screaming my name. Now, we're not screaming, but trying to whisper my name. And that is apparently the time that I woke up. So we, we turned the lights on. I thought he was messing with me. It wasn't uncommon for him to do this, but there was absolutely fear in his eye. And so we stayed up. We couldn't really go back to sleep. He turned the TV on and, and contemplated uh, trying to get another room, but and I wasn't moving at that point. I. I really wasn't that scared. However, the next morning, I, I knew something legitimate had happened because he was still talking about it, number one. And uh, the next morning, my roommate had gotten up and he, he, he told me that it looked like whatever it was, it had his arms crossed and leaning over me and, and staring somewhat in an angry way. And still to this day, I, I'm, I'm in contact with all my old friends from college and the story only comes up with him he always makes a point to to bring it up and since then i haven't had anything happen i i i wouldn't be too upset if it did but regardless if that's my story i hope you can get some use out of it and i just want to say i really like the podcast and um i hope you're able to continue it as long as possible thank you have a good day Thank you, Adam. 
I'm actually a huge college football fan. So I think the fact that you actually played college ball makes this story even more fun for me. Now, of course, the city of New Orleans is steeped in history, and I don't even know if that's strong enough a term to put it in perspective. I honestly have no idea what set where the Superdome and the surrounding hotels are now, but I have a pretty good feeling that there was stuff sitting there well before that stadium was built. And even if there wasn't, there was plenty of bloodshed in that region over the past couple centuries that could warrant some sort of strange paranormal activity. Either way, it's an incredible story, and hopefully you won your big game. Thank you again, Adam, for taking the time to share your call. Our next call of the evening comes to us from Roger in the state of Indiana. Hi, Derek. My name's Roger. I'm from Evansville, Indiana. Uh, This was a UFO sighting that happened to me in September of 2012. Uh, My wife and I were out walking our dog, and we uh, had not been dog owners before. Uh, We'd always had cats, but we had a dog, so we were kind of learning what that was all about, and dogs like to go on walks. I should mention that uh, my wife is a complete skeptic, uh, doesn't have a belief in a lot of uh, paranormal things, certainly has no interest in UFOs. That's kind of important because she was the one that that saw this UFO first. It was, uh, I guess, what would be called the typical uh, black triangle or delta UFO. And we were watching it float, and I I used to work uh, for an airline, so I was very familiar with what planes look like, normal planes at altitude. And this was kind of floating. Uh, not moving very fast, uh, almost like a blimp or a lighter than air, uh, is what my a pilot friend of mine uh, said that they're called. Uh, in any case, the thing that was particularly strange about this, it was nighttime, uh, so all we could really see was the three points of light, just three solid red lights on each of the, the points of the triangle. Uh, but at one point, it was directly overhead, and it was a clear, cloudless, you know, starry night, and this thing... Uh, passed over a cloud, and instead of, um, you know, blocking out the star, you could actually see the star through it, but it became distorted, almost like you were looking through a glass of water or something like that. And then it kind of floated off uh, to the east and away from us, and we watched it until it was out of sight. Uh, This occurred in a residential neighborhood. I didn't see anyone else out, uh, but when I looked up... uh, the incident the next day there was another resident who had reported it uh, to move on so I have no idea what it was I definitely didn't think aliens I was thinking you know something more along lines of, of maybe a you know like a government vehicle uh, but the thing that uh, really confuses me is uh, you know if this thing's basically see-through you know at nighttime it would have essentially been invisible so why have the three points of light on it you know, if, if it was a government thing, that doesn't make a lot of sense to me. Anyway, uh, that was my sighting. You know, I did some research on it, and I, I found out that there are some materials that are like very lightweight, you know, transparent plastics. Um, a friend of mine who's a pilot, you know, said that the characteristics were a lot like a, you know, a blimp or a lighter than air. But as far as what it was, who was flying it, or 
what it was doing over a relatively small town in southern Indiana. I have no idea. And that's my story. Hope you can use it on the show. Thanks. Bye. Thank you, Roger. Now, this story should come as no surprise because we've experienced quite a few wedge UFOs or black triangles over the years. And believe it or not, Monsters Among Us is not the only place to report these kind of stories. In fact, I remember an Unsolved Mysteries segment about the Belgium UFO sightings. I've actually linked to that segment in tonight's show notes. In addition, in the year 2000, there was a flap of sightings one night in southern Illinois. A UFO that was reportedly seen by a number of police officers. For more on that story, check this out. 4 a.m. At the regional 911 center located in Belleville, all conversations are recorded. This tape begins with a radio dispatch from 911 operator Tina Joaquin. It was an received call from Highland PD. Reference to a truck driver just stopped in and said there was a flying object in the area of Lebanon. It was like a two-story house. It had white lights and red blinking lights, and it was last seen southwest over Lebanon. Possibly, could you check the area? An officer on patrol in the city of Lebanon, Illinois, responded to the dispatcher's query. Did they say if the truck driver was uh, DUI or anything? He said he was serious. Just a quick question. If I happen to find it, what am I supposed to do with it? After searching for two minutes, the officer radioed the dispatcher. Hey, be advised, there's a very bright white light east of town, and it keeps changing colors. I'll go over there and see if maybe it's an aircraft. It doesn't look like an aircraft, though. So that's affirmative. Not the moon, it's not a star. You would, would you contact Scott Air Force Base to see if they have anything flying in this area, please? Well, whether it's a plane or not, it's heading westbound now. Matter of fact, if a shadow officer looks up, they can probably see it by now. Six miles southwest, a call came from another police officer, this time in Shiloh, Illinois. 2550. I see something, but I don't know what that is. 13 miles southwest in Milstadt, another police witness reported a similar sighting. Syncom 6004. Go ahead. I've got that object inside also. Are you serious? It's huge. Does it look like a... What does it look like to you? It's kind of V-shaped. Really. Moments later, a fourth police witness, an officer from Dupo, Illinois, contacted the dispatcher. Our first scene, I open on because you can see the different colors. Now it just appears to be white. Very large. It's hard to tell. It's pretty far off in the distance. This object was above me about 500 feet, and it was huge. There were no more calls to the dispatcher. Whatever it was, if indeed there was anything, vanished into the night skies over Illinois. Now, unfortunately, I couldn't lock down the exact name of this special program. But I can tell you that it came from the National Geographic channel. If you'd like to check out this segment and the full five-part series, I highly recommend you check out the show notes for tonight's episode. I don't know if these are extraterrestrial, extra-dimensional, or perhaps simply experimental military craft. 
Either way, the story is amazing. Thank you for taking the time to share it. For our next submission, we head south. The following is Tony's submission. Hi, my name is Tony, and I'm from Marietta, Georgia. I have uh, found your podcast after the experience uh, that happened to me took place about a month ago. Uh, my my cousin had called me on a FaceTime call to ask me some questions about an assignment that she was working on. Uh, she's a freshman in college, and as we were talking, it was a normal normal FaceTime conversation. She was showing me her assignment and I could see her boyfriend. She was at her boyfriend's house. I could see the side of her boyfriend's head to one side kind of bouncing in and out of the frame. And then behind her, there was an old man, old gentleman sitting down on the couch looking like uh, he was watching TV or something, looking in another direction. Uh, nothing out of the ordinary. We continued the conversation. Uh, I hopefully helped her, and then we hung up. Well, the next day, I started talking to her again because I had met up with her over at my folks' house, and just matter-of-factly, I had asked her uh, who was the old man in the background because her boyfriend is Hispanic, and this was an old white man sitting on the couch behind her. And... Uh, when I asked her, her eyes got really big and she said, uh, what are you talking about? It was just me, just me and my boyfriend at the house at the time. And I said, no, there was a, there was an old man sitting on the couch right there behind you. And, uh, I just, I thought it was weird because, you know, your boyfriend is, is Mexican. And her eyes started to well up in tears. And she said that, she, you know, needed to call her boyfriend right away and that she had been telling him that she thought something was weird and that she had had a dream about uh, an old man in the house when she was staying over there with him and uh, really got freaked out and said that, that she had felt a presence in the house before that. And, you know, I, the weird thing is, is that it wasn't, it was just an old man. It, it didn't look like a ghost or ethereal or wispy or anything like that it would just look like a person in the background and um it didn't never looked at the camera never moved never did anything just just sitting there and uh she was she's been really freaked out ever since then and uh, i just wanted to call into the podcast and see if you had any idea or any other experiences that you've heard of with uh ghosts or entities or anything showing up in the background of these facetime calls like that so uh that's the story and uh i appreciate the chance to share it thank you thanks tony i can't help but think as technology advances and we're continuously putting cameras in every little device we own we're going to continue to catch more and more mysterious images such as the image that tony as described here in his call. We're already seeing several closed-circuit television cameras capture unexplainable events. We've also seen nest cams, pet cams, capture strange, odd behavior. So it's only a matter of time before we start to see strange anomalies in programs like FaceTime and Skype. So I implore you all 
while you're watching those kids play or those pets that sporting event. Keep your eyes open in the background of your FaceTime or Skype and let me know if you see anything weird. Thank you again, Tony, for sharing that call. Now our next submission of the evening is a workplace submission from Sam in the state of Indiana. Hi, Derek. This is Sam from Indiana. Um, I do hope you can hear me. I'm using a Bluetooth headset. Um, I'm on my break at work. I was I always listen to your podcast during uh, during shifts here on on overnights. It, it really gets me through. But anyway, I'm calling to tell you about um, the first job I ever had. It was at a, a pizza parlor here in town um, called uh, Joe's Pizza, and um, it's closed now. Um, they opened a new restaurant inside of there, which I haven't been in yet. Honestly, I haven't been back in the building since um, my experience in there. But long story short, um, I was working there during college and um, worked a lot of late nights. And we were open till 11, and then you know we'd stay over to, to close and get everything cleaned up and everything. So we'd be there till about midnight or 12:30. Um, so there was one night that we were there. We'd had a particularly busy night, and um, we had one shelf. Um, it's an old building. I mean, it's it's a very, very old building. It's part of the what we call the depot district. It's near the old train depot. So a lot of uh, buildings, you know, sprung up around there about that time. Um, and this particular building was one of the first to be built across from the old train depot. So um, we had a shelf that um, was one of the original shelves that used to be an old grocery store, the style where you walk in, there's the counter and, you know, you, you'll look across the counter and you kind of tell the grocer where what you need um so anyway we had this shelf that had all the pizza boxes on it that we had already built and had stacked up for you know to go orders and um i had been folding boxes to fill it back up and when i filled the top shelf which is where we put all of our our tenant pizza boxes um i had to stand up on the counter to, to get up onto that top shelf so i placed a stack of pizza boxes onto that top shelf and as soon as the boxes hit it, all of the boxes on this probably eight inch tall shelf, um, about I'd say 12 feet long of just pizza boxes, exploded outward. Um, they all flew out into the into the kitchen area, um, hitting one of them um, went onto the rolling oven. We had to shut the oven off. It was this whole big thing, and then there were three other people there with me, and we were all horrified. That was I mean there was no sound to it or anything. It was like somebody had basically tilted that fell forward and it had all flown out but it was such a distance it was it was literally an explosion of pizza boxes flying off the shelf and I, to this day I've, I've never had an explanation for it it spooked me so bad um that i ended up i didn't go back in i felt unwelcome after that um i i felt like i was targeted by whatever this was and and i've had several paranormal experiences i'll probably call back with a few of them but but none that have been so wrong feeling you know something that feels like it doesn't want you there um and and to have i i can't imagine how many pizza boxes are on that on that shelf it took us forever to stack them back up there i don't know what kind of entity could have the power to be able to push i mean i i don't know derek I, i've never seen anything like it but um i don't know if that's classic poltergeist activity or if there's another way to explain it i i have no idea but like i said there were three other people there with me and it was it was a scarring night, and we still talk about it to this day when we see each other. It's like, hey, you remember the pizza boxes? And yeah, absolutely. And 
um, they all have their own stories about the place, but that was the only one I ever had, the only experience I had, and um, I, I didn't go back. So um, thank you, appreciate it. Um, love the podcast, and hope that you can use the stories. Have a good one. Thank you, Sam. Sounds pretty wild. Now, believe it or not, I actually have a logical explanation, or at least a possible logical explanation. I know a lot of restaurants have uh, rodent problems. Rats, mice, that kind of thing. And oftentimes they will put out uh, mice traps, and sometimes even rat traps. Now, if you've ever seen a, a spring-driven rat trap... These things look like a mousetrap on steroids. They're seven, eight, nine inches long, four or five inches wide, and can break your fingers. So my thought here is that maybe, just perhaps, one of these rat traps was up on this shelf, and Sam simply didn't see it. And when he threw the boxes on top of it, it sprung into action, tossing the rest of those boxes away from the wall. Now I have a few problems with this little theory, of course. For starters... It would have made a heck of a noise. He most likely should have been able to hear it snap, and it probably would have jumped in the air. Secondly, I highly doubt they would put a rat trap where pizza boxes are supposed to be stacked. Typically, they're on the floor, in corners, in dark, dirty places. And third of all, you would think that Sam simply would have seen the rat trap at some point in this exchange. So it's entirely possible that this is what happened. But at the same time, it's also very unlikely because of those three elements that I mentioned. Thank you again, Sam, for sharing that call. Maybe somebody else out there has some ideas as to why something strange like that would take place. Now, I have a couple more calls to share with you guys this evening, but before I do, I need to get through a few of these little announcements. In addition to upcoming CryptidCon... I'm actually going to be at the Mothman Festival in Point Pleasant, West Virginia on Saturday, September 21st. Now, I won't have a booth or anything like that. I'll be walking around, talking to people, hanging out at other people's booths, that kind of thing. I'm going to be a tourist for once. But that said, don't be afraid to come up and say hi if you happen to see me or any of the crew walking around. I'll try to remember to wear a Monsters Among Us podcast t-shirt to help pick me out of the crowd. If you enjoy the show and would like to engage with other fans, might I suggest our social media pages. We have accounts on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. In addition, we have a closed Facebook group where all kinds of fun things are passed back and forth. Simply search Monsters Among Us in each of those platforms to find those pages. Merchandise. I've got all kinds of merchandise left. Well, I've got some merchandise left. So if you're interested in picking up a t-shirt, sticker, hat... Magnet. There's a couple other things in there. Uh, now's your chance to do so. When I return from Mothman later this month, we're going to hit this hard and try to get a handful of new items in that shop as well. But if you're looking to support the show and get something in return, that's the best way to do it. And lastly, if you have a story you would like to share, simply call the hotline at 1-888-608-NIGHT. That's 1-888-608-6444. Or visit the website at monstersamonguspodcast.com and click on the Report Your Sightings tab. There, you'll find a few other options to submit your story, one of which is completely anonymous. 
And on that note, our next story of the evening is one of the craziest things I've ever heard, and by far one of the craziest things I've ever played on this show. But for some strange reason, I don't think my leg is being pulled. The following story comes from Miguel. Hey Derek, this is Miguel Ahed Olera. I was calling you because I was trying to relay this story uh, from my dad from Mexico. I've been binge listening to your stories for the last, I don't know, two or three days or so. And I've never heard anybody say this before, so I was thinking this would be an interesting story to tell you. So anyways, this is about 1958 or so. My dad grew up in Mexico, like I said. Uh, he lived in this little small town uh, called Urira, it's Y-U-R-I-R-A, Mexico. And basically, uh, him, uh, my uncle, and a couple of his friends were walking down the street. And apparently, it was like a nice day down there. And they were walking back from a forest or something. And as they were walking, they heard like this massive, like, neigh. Like, you know, a horse was in uh, trouble or something. So they're like, where's the noise coming from or whatever? And they turn around. And they're trying to find this nay. And so basically, uh, you're not going to believe when I say this, but, you know, per them, this is what happened. So they walked down this road for a little bit. And it's Mexico, so it's like this, you know, paddle road or whatever. It's not like, you know, some asphalt or whatever. And they walk up and they see this black stallion that got caught in uh, this bear trap. And they're like, oh, this helped the stallion, right? But as they're growing closer they noticed that, wait a minute, it's not a stallion. And, you know, this is going to sound crazy, but the stallion had wings. And they're like, uh, uh, the stallion has wings, right? They freak out and they start running and they run to the town and they tell everybody, yo, man, there's a stallion with freaking wings, you know, up the road let's go help it, it's trapped. And they were like, you're freaking crazy, you know, they don't believe them because they're just kids, whatever. But, you know, some of the adults, like, were, like, you know, seeing how terrified they were, so they're like, okay, let's go see if, is it true or not? So they went back, and I'd say you not, about 10 people go over there, and you see the same damn thing trapped in this bear trap. And they're like, wait a minute, that's a freaking Pegasus. This thing was about the size of a rare horse, and uh, it was completely black and had these giant wings. The wings were, from what they were telling me, uh, about the size of a person. So they were about six weeks, six feet or so. And it's not like they shoot so much super glued some wings on, you know, a horse or whatever, because it actually ended up flying away. And, you know, so... They're out there being freaked out for a minute because they were, you know, this horse thing was in pain. So the adult cranked the, the bear trap open and it just like hobbled around for a little bit. And, you know, next thing you know, it like ran off and flew away. And for the longest time, I thought my dad was like, you know, playing tricks with me or whatever. So when I grew up older, when I was older, I asked 
the other uncle that was there, he's like, no, 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 that, that actually happened. So I was like, no way. Anyways, I never heard anybody say anything about uh, freaking Pegasus before, but they all swear to it. Like I said, 30 or so people saw it. I thought it was interesting. I thought you'd get a kick out of it. Anyways, uh, yeah, uh, keep doing a good job with the show. And uh, yeah, bye. Thank you, Miguel, for sharing your story. Okay. Pegasus. Now let's break this down a little bit. I don't believe there are too many people on this planet that truly believe that a Pegasus could be running around. I just don't. There's no proof of that in the fossil record whatsoever. There's no evidence of that in the natural world. There are no mammals with six limbs. Just none of this seems to add up uh, whatsoever. So let's look at it a different way. Could there have been something wrong with this horse? And I have a hard time even coming up with what would cause a horse to grow six-foot appendages out of its side. I don't believe there is any disease or anything that would cause such a deformity. So that leaves us with the other option. We're humans somehow to blame. We're fabricated wings glued onto this horse. Something along those lines. Now as cruel as that sounds... Stuff like that has been done in the past. I distinctly remember a Jersey Devil exhibit where some guy took a poor kangaroo and spray painted it and glued wings to it and did all this stuff and uh, nearly killed the, the animal. So the bottom line here is I honestly have no idea what to even make of this story. It sounds like Miguel is being uh, truthful. It sounds like he's being genuine. But it also sounds like he's as skeptical as we are. So perhaps it's just simply a long-running gag that his father simply wouldn't let up on. Then again, stranger things have happened. Thank you again, Miguel, for taking the time to share your call. Next up, we hear from Aubrey in the state of Texas. I'm Aubrey from Texas. I have a few stories I'd like to share, but this one is from my my late father, passed away in 2007. This story has always intrigued me, uh, probably got me very interested in the paranormal. It takes place in Kennesaw, Georgia, when he was a, a young boy, about 12 years old. He would sometimes go and spend the night at his grandmother's house, that, his grandmother that lived there. It was an old house, uh, and it didn't have AC. I mean, this was probably in uh, probably about very early 60s, 1960s. He would sleep upstairs in the attic, and it was very hot and muggy, he said. Sometimes there would be wasps up there, and he hated going up there, but that's all the rooms she had would, you know, put him up there, and, and that's where he would sleep. One night, he said he that he was, was staying there, he woke up, to what sounded like a loud cannon fire, a big boom. It woke him up out of a dead sleep. And then he started hearing gunfire uh, right outside, following. So he jumps up and he goes and he looks out the window to see what all the commotion is. And he said it was, it was right out of a movie. It was 
a war scene from the Civil War. He said he saw, as clear as day, soldiers fighting. And it was not right outside the house, but, I mean, he could see it maybe 300 to 400 feet away. But, I mean, he could see it. He could see them in their uniforms. He could see men bleeding and laying on the ground. And he was just standing there kind of in shock, like, what am I seeing? Am I awake? He said at that moment, he hears a rattling, the doorknob to the room, like somebody was trying to open it. So, you know, he turns around thinking maybe it's his grandma, so he can, you know, she probably heard all the noise and what's going on. And then a man walks in with what he said, he had gray hair and it looked like he had spectacles and he had a mustache and he was wearing, um, he remembers he was wearing looked like a white long apron but it was covered in blood and the man looked not directly at him but he looked very tired and worn out and he said he he didn't even look at my father he just went and sat down at the end of my father's bed and put his head in his hand like he was exhausted and just kind of you know not really directly speaking to my dad but just kind of mumbled you know, there's just so much blood. I just can't take it. There's just so much. There's just so much. And then as soon as the man said that, he just vanished in front of him. And so did the noise outside. And so my father turned around and looked back out the window, and it was dark, and there was nothing. He didn't know what just happened. It just, it was there, and then all of a sudden it was gone. And I didn't mention before, but when he did look outside, he did say it was daylight when he saw the, you know, the war happening. But it was, you know, in the middle of the night. So when he looked again, it was it was pitch dark. There was nothing. So um, I love your podcast and I do have other stories I want to submit. But this one, I always made my dad tell me over and over as I was growing up. And it just fascinated me. And Civil War Everything about it has always fascinated me. I had an ancestor who was a lieutenant for the South, Lafayette George, who died in the Civil War. And um, it just it just always fascinates me. But um, thank you. Thank you, Aubrey. Now, strangely enough, I'm not sure it's a spirit or a ghost that Aubrey is describing here, but rather a phenomenon known as a time slip. Now, essentially, a time slip causes the sufferer, or sometimes sufferers, to suddenly be thrust back in time to another era where they experience life as it was, sometimes even interacting with the people in this new period, before they find themselves suddenly back in their original timeline. There have been countless explanations offered to explain time slips, everything from time travel, wormholes, portals, and even aliens. But the simple truth is, no one has a clue what these time slips are, or even if they exist. But I can tell you that Aubrey's call certainly seems to fit the bill. Thank you again, Aubrey, for taking the time to share. And that brings us to our final call of the evening. Now, the subject for this call may sound familiar. Just like Roger's story, which we touched on earlier tonight, this call, too, 
deals with a subject that we've covered before. The following is Pat's story from the state of Maryland. Hi, Derek. My name is Pat Rosenberger. I live in Westminster, Maryland, and I'm just calling to tell you about a sighting I had. I was a rural mail carrier here for 13 years, and um, this incident happened, I'm going to say about six or seven years ago, but um, I just heard a similar incident when you were on um, Into the Fray with, um, with Shannon McGraw on episode 97, and it reminded me of what I saw, and I just wanted to call in and tell you about it. But anyway, I was um, delivering mail about, and I was, this was a rural route, and um, we're in a, like a farming community, and um, so this was pretty rural where I was, and I was going down the road, it was, um, I'm going to say late summer, and it was, um, late afternoon, probably three, four o'clock, and um, I'm delivering mail at a farmhouse, and the farmhouse across in the mailbox was across the street from the farmhouse, and the farmhouse was back a long lane. I couldn't even see the farmhouse, okay, but you had to go back this long lane to get to it, and on both sides of that lane was um, high cornfields, um, so it, I happen to glance over. I'm I'm very aware of my surroundings all the time. So um, I happened to glance over, and as I did, I noticed something ran across that lane, you know, probably 30, 40 yards from me, and um, something ran across that lane that I thought was a dog, and and my first thought was, oh, someone's dog is loose. And so I thought, paid a little more attention and I noticed oh my god that's not a dog what the heck is that and I love because I often see foxes and things like that on my route but this was not a fox either because I love to see foxes this is not a fox but it was about the size of a medium sized dog I'm going to say two and a half feet you know three feet tall or something like that and it um, had um, it had a I'm going to say a reddish or grayish color to its legs and darker on its back and it had um, its shoulders were bigger than the back of it than its tail in and toward as it as the fur the fur on its back was black blackish uh, dark color and as it got down toward its tail it had spots all over it like light colored spots like almost it was really like a brindley color but it had these light colored spots on it and I'm like, holy crap, what is that? <laughs> you know, I've never seen a dog like that. And I, I, it was obviously, it became obvious to me, this was a wild animal. It had a furtive look. It wasn't like a, just a dog that was just running around. It was, it was in a hurry to get from one side of that cornfield, you know, into the other. It, it didn't want to be seen, really. They had seen it for only about five seconds, probably. But um, I'm thinking, oh my God, what the hell is that? And so I, um, I got back to the, you know, it was gone, and I got back to the post office. I was racking my brain. I couldn't think of what kind of animal that could be. My my only thought was that like a dingo or something, you know, um, something I could think. So I got back to the post office and I asked any, you know, people, my friends there, um, you know, 
has anybody ever seen anything like that? And nobody could have any, have any clue what it was. So I got home and I said, well, let me look up and see what a dingo looks like. And I did, and this totally was not a dingo. And so I'm like, um, I, I couldn't think of what else it could be. So I just kind of, um, I, I, I kind of let it go, you know. So, and, But it's always been in the back of my mind for all these years. And just recently, I happened to see a picture of um, hyena, but it wasn't just any hyena. It was a spotted hyena. And when I saw that picture, it flashed in my mind. Oh, my God, that's exactly what I saw. And um, <laughs> all I can remember is, um, like I said, it, it looked it was looked like a spotted hyena, and, I, and I, they are not native to North America. And um, I do remember, though, I could not see its tail. I really don't... I, I didn't notice it did not certainly have a big bushy tail or anything like that, but I, I didn't, you know, see that the rear end of it, so I didn't really, I didn't see the tail. I don't know what kind of tail it had, but it was not a big bushy tail. It had to have been hardly there, if anything. Thank you, Pat. I really enjoyed that story. Now, I did a little digging, and it seems that the Maryland area, at the very least, has seen its fair share of escaped hyenas. There was one wildlife enclosure in particular near the city of Pittsburgh that actually saw two hyenas get loose in the year 2010. Now, of course, I don't know which part of Maryland Pat is in, and I don't know when this encounter took place, so it's pretty much impossible for me to correspond escaped hyenas with her sighting. That said, this wouldn't be the first time that a hyena was mentioned in a cryptid story. I realize I've touched on this more than a few times, but the case of the Beast of Gévedon, the wolf-like beast that attacked and killed upwards of 100 people in southern France in the 1600s. Now, many people suspect, based on eyewitness encounters, that the creature that attacked those people may have been a spotted hyena. Now, of course, that does absolutely nothing to support Pat's case, but what it does do let us know that we're not at the top of the food chain necessarily in that area. If something large and in charge, such as a spotted hyena, is loose in the countryside of Maryland, I believe there are a handful of people that are in some trouble. And that's going to do it for this episode. Monsters Among Us is written and produced by me, Derek Hayes. Additional support is provided by Addie Lloyd. Warren Ponabbitt, and Tony Bell. All audio used in this production is done so under the protection of fair use. And the music you're hearing is from Coag Music. Thank you all for listening, and until next week.
thanks for sticking around. Unfortunately, I'm super short on time tonight, so instead of reading a submission, I'm going to play a call. So the following is Jay's call from Canada. Hey Derek, this is Jay. Um, this isn't very exciting. I doubt you'll be able to use it. But when I was working, I, I do tile contracting. I was doing work in a house. It's an older house, at least for my area. Um, I live in Vancouver. The area is called New West. It's got some older homes in it. The house was built in the 1940s. Anyway, I was doing a whole lot of work in there. I was probably there for about a week and a half as everything progressed. And the whole time I was working during the day, the client and his father-in-law were always there. I never worked during night, whatever. I don't. I work normal hours as much as everybody thinks when you're self-employed. You work whenever they want you to. You don't. You try and keep it 9 to 5 as much as you can. Well, it's under the crunch right before Christmas. I actually wound up finishing this job on Christmas Eve. Not that that matters. A few days before that, uh, I was working there late into the night. I think I got out of there at 11. But uh, everybody else left probably 7 o'clock. And as soon as they left, I was the only one in this house. Uh, I felt very uneasy. I felt like uh, I was being watched. Very uncomfortable feeling. I, I work by myself a lot in very industrial areas, big buildings. I've never had this feeling before. Old houses all over the place. But anyway, I felt really uneasy, like somebody was just staring at me. I, I kept looking away out into the hallway, making sure nobody, nobody was staring at me from the hall while I was in the bathroom. Anyway, as I'm working on this wall, I... I was tiling, uh, doing mosaic up on the top wall, it doesn't matter. I heard a big crash and a bang, and I came out running into the hallway. And I already felt uneasy, but my level, which was leaning up against the wall, fell down. Fair enough, old house. You're moving around, in and out of the tub, walking up and down the hall to my tile cutter. Vibrations happen, it falls. Okay, fine. Walked away, went back to work. A little while later, my other level, six-foot level, falls down to the ground as well. Okay, again, can happen. But I'm in there working away again, and I had a stack of tile, probably two feet high, one foot by two foot ceramic tiles piled up that I was using for the walls. And I had my impact gun, so it's uh, one of those short drills, and it had the bit in it. It was laying on its side with the drill bit out, and in that position, it's impossible to flip over. I can understand something happening when it's up on its battery pack, but it was laying on its side. There's no possible way it could flip over. And I come out after the next crash bang, and my drill is across the hallway on the ground. It was originally sitting on that two-foot-high stack of tile. As I continue on, wanted to finish off because it was Christmas right around the corner. I go upstairs into this tiny little ensuite we were building, and I was finishing off the floor tile. And as I go up the stairs, I wear glasses, and there was lights on everywhere it was at night. And the, the reflection of the, my glasses from my eye, I could see somebody standing behind me. It was a, a woman in a dress. I, I whipped around, frightened, nothing there. I continued working. And the rest of the night, up and down those stairs, just at the stairs, not anywhere else, I kept seeing a reflection of this woman behind me. I kept getting the, the feeling that somebody was moving around just outside my view. It was a very uncomfortable note. This all, maybe I'm just paranoid working in an old house. Who knows? But I've had this really uncontrollable feeling of depression, and it stems from that night. I don't really know. It's uh, very weird. However, if it was normal, I wouldn't be calling you. 
anyway, I'm uh, curious to hear what you have to say about it. Thank you very much. I'm a big fan. Bye. Thank you, Jay. Now, it's funny. I used to hear about it a lot, you know, in the 90s and early 2000s, but but lately it doesn't seem to be brought up as often. The old cliche that if you do remodeling or, you know, you change something in your home, you're more likely to trigger some sort of ghostly activity. Given the activity that Jay was doing, I'm wondering if that's what triggered all this in the first place. Thank you, Jay, for submitting your call. And thank you for sticking around to the end of the program. Have a great night.